0: Welcome everyone, this is Danny Haifong and we are coming to you with unfortunately a a sad episode of the Left Lens live with co-host Margaret Kimberly here with me. Um, Let me know if you hear us, I don't see anyone. Okay, now I think we're on. So yeah, we're here of course uh, to pay tribute to Glenn Ford and I, you know, got up some brief remarks as soon as it happened because I was reeling. But I, I, you know, I guess just start Margaret, you know, do you want to kick us off a bit just to talk about this very unfortunate uh, passing of of Glenn Ford? And we're going to bring in Jamima Pierre, Dr. Jamima Pierre, as soon as she's available. But we wanted to come on with you a little early just to introduce and and talk about this. So, Margaret, do you want to...
1: Sure,
0: she uh, um up oh. oh no. Can you all hear us? I don't hear anyone. Okay. I don't hear Margaret. Did she disconnect? Can anyone confirm that with me? Um, She's frozen on my screen, how am I? Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, Margaret is frozen, okay. Well, hello everyone. Uh, Margaret will fix her issues, I'm sure. Oh, Margaret, you're back. Okay. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, I am, sorry, but I don't know what happened. No, um, I
0: think he just froze, maybe internet, I don't know. Oh, I did,
1: okay. Yes, Glenn Ford passed away uh, yesterday, July 28th, 2021, after a long illness. Um, it's a devastating loss to us personally, as his friends and comrades, he was my mentor. Uh, I knew him for nearly 20 years. I've, whatever I've achieved, like being here tonight, is because of Glenn and Black Agenda Report. And I, uh, same is true for uh, Danny. Uh, He was a great journalist. He's what a journalist ought to be. Getting paid to write and broadcast does not make one a journalist. He investigated, he analyzed. Um, He did not care if his analysis pointed away from the establishment narrative. In fact, he never uh, put forth the establishment narrative as a man who was uh, a socialist, who was a uh, black nationalist in the best meaning of that word. He was always, always, always concerned with the uh, condition of um, African uh, people around the world, always. And uh, he and I and Bruce Dixon co-founded Black Agenda Report in 2006. And sadly, uh, now they have uh, both passed away um We had scheduled, uh, uh, last week or so, this um, conversation with Dr. Jamima Pierre, who will be joining us shortly, um, not knowing that it would be the date uh, the day after we lost Glenn Ford. Uh, but we are we were scheduled to talk about Haiti and we will. That was one of the things that Glenn did much, much better than anybody in the corporate media. Um, uh, reporting on Haiti, the things that people ought to know, but uh, but don't know. And uh, so we, we said we were still going to go on, go forward, even though it's been a rough uh, time since yesterday morning when we found out Glenn was gone. Um, we're forging ahead. We are still going to talk about Haiti. We'll talk about Uh, Glenn's uh, legacy as a reporter. And that's just one part of the world where he um, educated so many people in ways that the corporate media, people who make a lot of money, actually people make a lot of money because they don't tell the truth. And uh, that is, um, uh, even if you didn't know Glenn, that's why his passing is such a, a loss to people on the left, um, to people in independent media, left media, uh, to anyone who is concerned with the uh, liberation, liberation struggles. Glenn's passing is a, a very big loss for us all.
0: Yeah, indeed it is. Indeed it is. It's a very big loss. Uh, I was, I still am definitely uh, processing it. Uh, you know, I had the privilege. I mean, I really, I feel like one of the luckiest people on this earth to be able to have moved here to New York City and been able to get to know Glenn better, to be able to learn from him up close and personal. Oh, I see Dr. Jimmy Mapir there. I just want to say one thing before I bring her on that I think is very important because I know that we are all imperfect human beings. We all have our flaws. We all navigate the contradictions of this system and for sure glenn ford did not please everybody and he was someone whose ideas especially his ideas they were anathema to many people i'm not even just talking about the establishment but many people on the left saw him as going too far as someone who uh, overly criticized barack obama as someone who Was too socialist, too communist, too anti-imperialist, ultra-left. Right? There were so many people who felt like this, and still to this day harbor a lot of resentments. And 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 it's quite obvious. And I want to just say that in times like this, you know, when one of our comrades fall, we have to be bigger than ourselves. We have to realize that, you know, no matter how close we were to Glenn, what always matters was the contributions that people make to this struggle. And Glenn Ford made innumerable contradictions, so many sacrifices. I I don't think people realize that Glenn Ford could have literally been a multimillionaire, a black media mogul. He was a pioneer in black journalism. He did not need to sacrifice as much as he did with the talents that he was able to develop over the course of his life history. And yet what he did was sacrifice all of them for the people to provide people, oppressed people, black people, all people who are fighting against injustice anywhere with tools to be able to analyze and see the world and see conditions for what they are so that they can then pick up the mantle and change it. And I just want that to be how people remember Glenn Ford regardless of Mm -hmm. whatever people thought about him individually uh, and however uh, people may have viewed his politics that to me is his greatest contribution and gift. But with all uh, that said, I want to bring in Dr. G. Pierre because she was so generous to give Mm -hmm. us her time. And here she is. Hi, Dr. Pierre, how are you? Oh, I think you're muted. Uh, I can unmute you. There you go. I am. Well, no. There you go. There
2: you go. Hello? Hi.
0: How are y'all doing? Uh, are we, live? we are live. We are live. Okay. Um, yeah. As good as can be expected, I guess. Um, it's been too long, though. I know uh, the last time I saw you from the left forum, many years ago. So. I have
1: the picture.
0: I know. It was a beautiful picture. Oh, yeah? Picture. Was
1: that 2017 or 2017?
2: or 2017. And okay. I have to show you all because it's such a great picture.
0: And all of us were
2: there. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, Danny, Danny, Yeah, Me, and I
0: think Glenn and Margaret,
2: yes.
0: And it was unfortunate. Bruce couldn't make it that year. I think he was yeah. um he sitting, was he was out, yeah, he was sick in Georgia. And I was yeah. so looking forward for everyone. I felt like for the last five years we weren't able to, you know, a few years we weren't able to all get together, but uh, beautiful good times very good times um anyway we you're here dr pierre uh we were eventually we were just going to talk about haiti but these are hard times with the passing of glenn so give us your thoughts any remarks you want to make to just open
2: yeah i'm i hope i don't cry i am so devastated i oh my god glenn means so much to me um and to you all, I'm sure, and I'm just gutted. I'm gutted because I don't think that, I think that voice is irreplaceable. And um, I've never, you know, I learned so much and I was so honored um, to be published in the Black Agenda Report. And this this is my first, and I have to give this story because um, I met Glenn about 12 years ago. Um, well, no, about 11 years ago, right after the earthquake in Haiti. And i have gone to Haiti and I went to the, and then so I was presenting with um, Kevin Alexander Gray, if you all remember this name. Yes. That's, do. In the last forum. That's I when do. I met you too, Margaret. And then yep. um, he, <laughs> and I was, you know, so I was reading Black Agenda Report because I was so disillusioned during the 2007, um, 2000, run up to the 2008 elections. And I thought I was going crazy because everybody was, this was Obama mania. <laughs> And I was so devastated and I had no one to read. And, and then I read an essay by Kevin and then I was reading a lot uh, on Black Agenda Report just challenging um, Obama. And that was the only place I felt like I was safe because everyone else around me was crazy. Yep. And so, so then, you know, Kevin and I kept attention and we went to Haiti after the earthquake and we wrote uh, about um, the earthquake um, from Haiti um, and we had a piece in the nation and then we decided, you know, and then we were invited to uh, uh, present at the Left Forum. And so, and then I saw that Margaret and Glenn were going to present. So I said, Kevin, you have to introduce me, <laughs> you know. So, so, and that's what happened, you know. So, you know, I'm, I was just like, you know, just starting out as an academic. And so I wasn't even thinking about writing op-eds, but I was reading you all all the time. I was reading the black commentator beforehand. Yep. Um, and so, so Kevin, we had lunch. I don't know, Margaret, if you remember this, this was like 11 years ago. We had <laughs> we had lunch. And then I kept in touch um, um, with Glenn, in, because we were in New York again. And then of course, Glenn, um, my partner and I, and Glenn would meet and have drinks, a lot of drinks <laughs> at a bar <laughs> in New York. And talking one of those days, I was just like, man, you know, what's happening in Haiti it's terrible, and, and, you know, right after uh, Hillary Clinton forced this um, election um, and then forced Martelly on the people, this is like late 2010, early 2011, and he's like, well, why don't you just write about it? And I'm like, well, I don't know how to write like that. I'm an academic. And so he said, all you need, I'll never forget this advice. He said, all you need is a hook and 800 words and so <laughs> that was that and he's like why don't wow. you go and try it you know a hook of 800 words and so I went and I you know I, I and if you see that first article it's about the the the, the elections in Haiti the, the the Hillary Clinton choosing Martelly and I still have like footnotes like it's an academic article I don't I didn't know how to do links and so and I sent it to him and then he responded and he's like, I don't understand these last two lines. Cause you know, the last two lines are like academic jargon. And he's like, I don't <laughs> understand that. And so he's like, what do you mean by this? And so he sent it yeah. back.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yep. yep.
2: And, then, yep. Um, and then I fixed it. And ever since then, you know, he hasn't, um, you know, everything I said, he was very generous. And sometimes I was very late, you know, cause the issue goes out Wednesday morning. Sometimes I send an issue at like, you know, 2 AM, you know, that Wednesday morning. <laughs> Because I'm sitting there like writing, and you know, and so you know, I wish I, you know, there was a time I was writing much more regularly, and then you know, life um, took a uh, took a toll. But it was just, it was just really interesting um, being in conversation with Glenn, and you know, Glenn gave the rare um, rare compliments, and so every time I get one, which was not a lot, right? But I knew he liked the stuff, but he never said this was great. But every once in a while, he'd be like, "That yep. was a nice piece. That was a nice yep.
0: piece." So- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: So that to me, that would make my week, you know, because I hold yeah. him in such esteem. He's one of the smartest people in the world to me, and and I don't think people understand that. Just just this sharp mind, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and just his ability to take in information. And I always ask him like. How do you know everything that's going on all over the world? Like, what are you reading? Because I'm just like, I, I can't keep yeah. up. You know, like the details of things, you know, from Eritrea to like the details of what was going on in Haiti right after the coup against yeah. Aristide, the different players. And so I'm just like, he must be reading everything all the time. So, but it's also one thing to read something, it's another to have that sharp political analysis, right? And, and the no sentimentality, you know, it's just like, you know, I have academic friends who're like, "Well, yeah, but they're just too mean at the Black Agenda Report," <laughs> and I'm just like, "Well, forget your feelings." <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Whatever. You know, so but, um, So yeah. I appreciated the, the, the ability to say what we needed to say, and I learned from you all. You know, because um, uh, I think this is right right before Danny became on, so I was like mm-hmm. reading Bruce, Margaret, and Glenn all the time,
0: yeah. and you
2: you know, Margaret was just so succinct. You know strike right to the point and so as an academic i have to really learn to write like that but also to have like the biting words the turns of phrases that glenn always had and, and um that i don't know you know I, I can't imagine seeing that anytime in our lifetime you know and he's just such a brilliant man and you know and he didn't have to be nice and that's the one thing i appreciated this idea and because in academia you can't be um you know, people are always like, well, you know, you have to be, you have to be respect, not respectful not disrespectful, but you have to be, you have to listen to all sides and you have to be, um I can't think of the word, but the word that you have to be like, um, you have to be nice in your critiques, <laughs> right? Most, and so, yeah. it's something that means you almost, always yeah. have to temper your critiques, and I just appreciated the no holds barred. Um, that, that that Black Agenda Report, all of you all have, just straightforward, especially when it came to Obama. And, and I have to say, you know, the white left in particular was, um, they hid behind Black Agenda Report um, during the Obama years, because that's the okay. only way they could critique Obama without being called crazy. <laughs>
0: so that's, that's I, I
1: remember that as well. That's why, well, you know, I didn't mind giving me cover. Actually, it was. Oh, um,
0: uh, hold on one second. Know. There's an There's echo. An echo. Um, uh, it might be on yours, but uh, hold no, on, hold one, on second. one second, Dr. Dr. Pierre. Dr. Pierre. I'm going to mute her. Okay, it went. So okay. when you want to speak, uh, Jamiba, just uh, un- unmute. Okay. All right, good. All right. uh,
1: where, where was I? Ah, I forgot my thought. I'm getting giving open. cover, giving
2: cover to the thank to the Thank website. you so much.
1: Yeah, there was so much. Uh, the Obama mania was so awful, and oh, no one could criticize him. I don't remember any politician where it was forbidden to criticize them, and for black and because some of the criticism was racist. So anybody, I, I used to joke that uh, Obama paid people like Rush Limbaugh um, because they made it, they made it safe. Uh, for him to say or do anything, and no one felt comfortable, or a few of us, few people felt comfortable saying anything, uh, especially for white people, because they would be called racist if they ever criticized him. So I was kind of happy. I was like, fine, you want to, you know, use, use us to, to help you out? Great, as long as you, as long as you have the same politics and you're saying the same thing. Uh, but that, that was a very difficult time. Uh, it's so long ago now but um we're seeing something like it you always see something like that when there's a democrat in the white house where you know what do you want and then with trump oh my god it's like what do you want trump so you can any biden probably could get away with more than obama as bad as um as he was but um i one of the things i appreciated you're absolutely right jamima glenn was a voracious reader. I mean, he knew history, he knew current events. He could tell you something about just about anywhere in the world. (laughs) And uh, his reporting on Haiti, Black Agenda Report, we did the best reporting on Haiti of any publication in the country. I can say that uh, without any exaggeration, without any hesitation. No one did Haiti reporting like Black Agenda Report Uh, Glenn led the way, he always invited other people, yourself and others, uh, to write about Haiti so that this narrative of it's the poorest country in the hemisphere and, you know, which means if it's the problem, it's those black people who can't uh, uh, run a country, not uh, the French stealing money for over 100 years, not the United States stealing money, not putting puppets in power, not the oligarchs who run the place, not the, the... group of uh, thieves the US and Canada and Europe uh, um, uh, controlling Haiti not the UN um, and uh, black agenda report provided that clarity uh, on Haiti and on uh, other issues that got short shrift if, if any attention um, and that is something that we can um, can all be proud of but I, I, was, I wanted to say something else. I think part of the reason Glenn was such a keen observer and analyst, he was a very serious socialist. Very, very serious. Yes,
0: very and serious.
1: Um, so he had that point of view, that lens through which he saw the world. And it made for a, a very, very sharp clarity in any issue that he uh covered or anything that black agenda report did i i when i first uh met him i thought i was a leftist i wasn't i was just like a run-of-the-mill democrat but it, <laughs> so i learned quite quite a lot from him i i always he would always write something i was like i didn't know that and then i'd be kind of embarrassed it's like should i have known that um so those are all of the reasons that he will be missed uh, and his voice, his literal voice, was so beautiful. It was <laughs> made for radio for broadcasting. He, um, his father, was a DJ and radio host in Georgia, and he uh, was on the radio as a kid, and you could tell. Um, so I, I just wanted to add that to the uh, the things that you that you mentioned, Jameela it's Before. true it,
2: yeah i mean i don't ever,
1: <laughs> this is glenn ford
2: you know it's just yes.
0: like
2: that movie, <laughs> that movie i wanted to add margaret that he's also he was also an internationalist and i think
0: oh my god you know this yeah. is
2: and then especially around the obama years where black folks just stopped thinking about out you know they felt that they were part of the nation so many black mm-hmm. people in this country yes. who used to have critiques of u.s empire um this just let it go, you know, and stop talking about Africa, they stop talking about the Caribbean, right. and all the horrible, the drone wars, right? The, not drone wars, the drone bombings, you know, that was taken up by Obama, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So they just let him get away with all of it. And it was like, there was Black Agenda Report, and you know, that just kept, you know, the global world, especially the global black world, and especially mm-hmm. Haiti, like in focus, you know, Haiti and certain parts of the African continent, I think, um so we have to also remember that because I, I just think um you know we've lost that I mean I feel like Obama was such a turn back for black people in this country you know we've politically we've lost our edge you know and I remember him and you used to say you know black america used to be the moral compass right for for the US and they're the most radical constituency but that got lost in Obama and so I just I just wanted to, to really stress the internationalism of Glenn, because um, I think that's that's also very important, and also changing the language. Because I think we, you know, the way we work in Black Agenda Report, just the language that people use, you know, comes from, you know, from 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 Black Agenda Report. Bruce Dixon's sheepdogging, you know, misleadership <laughs> class, and my yeah. personal favorite is, you know, the Democrats and Obama. They're not just the uh, lesser evil; they're the more effective, more
0: effective evil. evil and we yeah. see
2: that, right?
0: Oh my gosh! Yes, it, when you were speaking earlier, Jimima, about your interactions with him, it, it, submitting articles—it's. Yeah, I was even looking at old emails today, and he did the same thing. You know, because I—I mean, I wasn't as deep in academia as you were when I first came out. But I was like, you know, I graduated from undergrad, and all I had written was undergraduate papers, and you don't really learn to write in academia, you learn how to write for a certain purpose to mm-hmm. a very select audience. And he was always very clear, even though, you know, after a while, once he gets a sense of your style, and how you like to do things, he's, he's not gonna, you know, nitpick about your choices. But yeah, it was, he was just so encouraging. And So, you know, so simple in his explanations. I mean, I I don't know just politically and just how he carried himself in the movement. I mean, the ability to explain phenomenon, all of it, to teach people in a way that's so concise, so grounded in theory and history. And as you all said, Mm -hmm. internationalism and deep principles of socialism and communism, I mean, he would tell me stories about how in the 60s, you know, he was like, I mean, he was a military guy. He witnessed black people refusing to go to Washington, D.C. and put down the rebellions in in D.C. after Martin Luther King was assassinated. He, He witnessed that as in the military. And then he also was a communist. So he was like passing out the daily worker and. He was like getting harassed by cops doing and He would tell these stories and it's obvious that he had so much practical experience and that his journalism, his talents in journalism and in writing and analysis and radio, all of it for him was a gift for the people now. It wasn't his way of trying to make some career to rake in millions. And I said this before you came on, Jamima, that he could have, he could have easily been a Black media mogul. He was pioneering Black media in so many areas, hip hop, radio, um, right after the Black liberation, during the Black liberation movement's uh, destruction, as he was a panther himself. It's just mm-hmm. one of these incredible lives that he, you know, that someone lived, which teach us so much, but obviously because of his politics, there was such a huge pushback. And, and he, as well as all of us at Black Agenda Report, have done our best to really fight against that grain, that that real intense response to a real revolutionary response to these crises, all of them, domestic, international. Uh, I mean, he, he really did change the language, and he contributed not just a deep breath of work, but also, in my opinion, he was a theoretician so much so that, as you said, Jamima, he, like the term black misleadership class, for example, uh, his analysis of the Sanders phenomenon, his uh, analysis of international issues. I I mean, I've had dozens of hours of conversations with him about China. I can't say how much I've learned just from talking to him about these things and, and thinking about what's going to happen in the next several years and just that was just the person he was. And it's just so, you know, it's just, it was just so humbling to be able to learn from someone like him. And, and it's, it is going to be really hard to move forward without him. Um, But we're going to, I know we're going to do our best. To, to we, are, we
1: are, we are. It is going to be different. It's, uh, you know, passings are always difficult. And when uh someone might like, like Glenn was the driving force behind black agenda report, but you both mentioned Bruce and he's the one who first, uh, Called, started calling uh, Bernie Sanders a sheepdog. He was just going to sheepdog people into the Democratic Party, which turned out to be the case. Um, so we we have uh, these giants whose shoulders we stand on. And as this generation goes, as is, as is inevitable, these people who were, he was a Vietnam era vet. He was a Black Panther. Um, the people who had those experiences are, are aging and, and passing. And there was a gap because of the destruction of the movement of a couple of generations. There are younger folks coming up who wanna step in and that's, we need the yin and the yang. We, we do need these uh, young people uh, who read Black Agenda Report, who join Black Alliance for Peace. Um, all, all of these uh, organizations, there are people who want to organize and who have a radical focus, uh, an African-centered focus, and in, as well as being internationalists too, as uh, as you have said. So those are pretty big shoes to fill, but uh, we're going to do our our best to fill them. And uh, Black Agenda Report is going to is going to go onward. It's uh, I would I would not ever want to. Uh, want to see it uh, disappear. So we're going to have the challenge of um, transitions. But um, but we I I learned so much from Glenn about, and I wanted to say something else. He was always very encouraging. You know, I started Black Commentator. I wrote a letter about Condoleezza Rice, as I recall. And uh, I said, can I write this letter? He said, okay. And I said, <laughs> then he's like, you want to write some <laughs> 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 like, I wasn't a professional writer no journalism school in fact he would say things like journalism schools are crap he said all they should do is teach people how to write the rest of it is all um pro-state propaganda but at any rate he and that's an important lesson for all of us to be in solidarity with each other and to encourage each other as we all strive to learn new things and I think
2: you're absolutely right and I want to say you know I, uh, Glenn could hold his own anywhere, everywhere. I'm telling you, he's one of the smartest people I know. And as you know, Margaret, like, you know, he came, we invited him and you remember we when we did our Black Folks in Dark Time at Vanderbilt University. And then when when my partner Peter's book came out, he came and gave a talk in honor of the book at UCLA. And so I do think, you know, I, I, I think of him as such a great mind, but also you're absolutely right, extremely generous extremely kind, you know, and 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 that's one thing, I kind in person, not kind in the words when he's critical, but that's fine, we don't need to be kind in, when we're being critical uh, of a system that's out to kill us, so, you know, so that's one thing I learned, it's just like you can be clear and rough on that system that's trying to kill you, but you can also be a kind person, so I, I you know, I just wanted to stress that, because he could hold his own, and I appreciated that so great, so great, so so uh, a lot, quite a bit, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's true. He was very generous. I mean, he always had my back. And it, and it didn't always please people that he had my back. Uh, You know, he, uh, there are always questions, you know, I write for Black Agenda Report, but I'm not a black American and all of this, but he was always very clear. The black radical tradition is inclusive to the struggles of all oppressed people. And that Black Agenda Report would remain firmly under Black leadership, no matter who contributed. So he was very clear about that. And no matter what others would say, you know, whatever confrontations I would get in, he was always so encouraging and would just be, you know, with all of his wealth of experience. I mean, you know, I've had so many opportunities to learn from so many um, incredible revolutionaries, including yourselves. But like with Glenn, because I got to know him so personally, I, I really got to learn from just how he was so able to just maintain his composure and his confidence and his uh, ability to to stand up for the people and to continuously, uh, you know, perfect his craft and work hard and the discipline and all of it. I mean, so. I was just so lucky to be able to bear witness to that and to learn from it. And politically, I mean, there's just few others that I've ever met who are as principled as him and who can adapt. I mean, just the way in which I, just reading his work and then talking with him about something like Bernie Sanders or Black Lives Matter, for example, and seeing how he could both, Understand the strategic situation and address people who obviously are becoming interested in socialism and in radical politics and uh, thinking in terms of race and racism again. While at the same time, always knowing who the scoundrels were, who had to be called out, who had to be targeted, when Bernie Sanders, you know, uh, was sheepdogging, as Bruce Dixon would call it, he was. Talking about the contradictions and how the people who were following Bernie Sanders needed to break from the Democratic Party. When Black Lives Matter Network, you all remember when they were approaching the Democratic Party, even in just a even when they were just leaning in to a kind of posturing with the Democratic Party, we were all following his lead in his criticisms of the Black Lives Matter Network. And he took so much pride in knowing that Black Agenda Report played a huge role in Black Lives Matter, in their rejection of a DNC endorsement. They, in 2016, refused to endorse the DNC. And in part, that was because Black Agenda Report did make a huge fuss about it. We were all writing about how this is problematic. I had personal experiences in Boston, very negative, uh, where people were talking about Glenn Ford and Bruce Dixon as they're like Al Sharptons. And it was was so just awful. And I would tell Glenn Ford, and he's like, oh, well, I know those people. Don't worry. I, that's to be expected. We're going to keep doing the work. And and that kind of approach was just both humbling and so educational. And so, we, we yeah, there's so much to learn. Uh, I mean, he really did follow the words of the great Emil brawl when he said, tell no lies, claim no easy victories. Glenn Ford followed that to the T uh, all the way up until the end of his life.
2: Yeah, do you guys, I have to quickly say, do you remember in the 2016 elections when Trump won and he was at the Real News Network watching party? You guys don't remember that. Didn't see it, but he, but go ahead. They were so mad at him because everyone around him, leftists, were so upset. They were getting so upset that Hillary was losing. And Glenn was like, well, what's going to change? What's going to change if Hillary, if, if, if Trump wins, Tell me what's going to change, you know, and, you know, for American Empire, what's going and they, you know, I remember one person getting up and walking out of the room when it was, you know, when it was announced that it was too close to call. And so I just and I and he was just he maintained composure and he just kept to his words, even though he was the most hated person in that room at the time, and you can feel it, it was probable. And I'll never forget that because he stood his ground and and he was right. He was on the right side of, of things. And so i'll never i'll never forget just how much venom was thrown at him at that evening um when trump uh defeated uh hillary and 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 how and how much he stood his ground because a lot of people would have would have wilted and said well no you know this is you know i see what you're saying but he was like he kept he kept you know he kept the conversation straightforward and he you know he made his point so to me that's you know that's that's something i need to learn to get you know not you know not to not to get too 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 ruffled by you know these people who are who can be so angry and 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 in their liberalism, right? And keep keep it moving. You know, as long as you you know in the righteous going the righteous direction. Yeah.
1: You're right. He um uh I you know you reminded me of something else that uh, happened at Black Commentator. What he did um was uh initially stopped Cory Booker from winning his first mayoral election in Newark. Black, he knew, he said to himself, where did this guy come from? Where does his money come from? Uh, and this is like sort of early days of internet. And he told me he went to the libraries, like, oh, he got money from the Manhattan Institute. Oh, he got money from the Bradley Foundation, all this right-wing money. And people um, um, uh uh, campaigning for his uh, opponent, the F- Sharp James, I almost forgot his name, former mayor of Newark. they were handing out on the street the black commentator analysis of that election. Uh, and black commentator kept Cory Booker from winning that first time he ran. Um, and the weaknesses of Sharp James helped him to win. now he's in the Senate but but it was it was black commentator who stopped him and who have stayed on Cory Booker, and we always will, as long as he's in the Senate, he's in public life anywhere, uh, we will uh, analyze those people. Um, Black uh, agenda report, we had uh, um, the CBC monitor, Congressional Black Caucus monitor, Letitia Stills. We ranked, we rated all the members of the Black Caucus. We were not happy that there were X number of Black people in Congress. What were those Black people doing? We felt that people needed to know, and the the coining of the term, black misleadership class. um, uh, People quote it all the time. And I've noticed also, I didn't realize that we're quoted academically. Um, My name pops up in play. I was like, well, I didn't know people were, you know, quoting me from black agenda for all of us, I guess. So it's important to know the real world. You know, some people try to say it's, You know, you're just an academic, you're a theoretician, you just talk about stuff. But it it has real consequences. Our work has um, had real life consequences in this country politically.
0: Yeah. And I always, I've heard this criticism of Black Agenda Report and it drives me up the wall, really, about the academic nature of it. We're just talking about it. We're not doing it. First of all, all of us, all of us have been involved in political struggle in one way or the other. That's, that's just one thing. That's, that just shows how little people know of the, the people who are producing the work at Black Agenda Report. But then it's like, obviously, they don't read Black Agenda Report or listen to Black Agenda Report. Because if you did, who are the majority of Glenn Ford's guests on the radio program? Oh, they were activists in the movement, in the struggle. Uh, talking about what they were working on and having real political conversations, not just what are you guys doing and what reporting on their issues. No, asking them questions about what they thought about the world and why they were doing what they were doing. I mean, that to me is the heart of political education. And I think the way that that Glenn Ford led Black Agenda Report was always rooted in... The people. It was always rooted in how people were struggling against empire, how they were struggling against capitalist exploitation, against white supremacy. It's it's so clear if you are actually following it, but of course, to detractors, it's quite easy when uh, the politics are not in agreement, as you were saying, uh, Jimima, about the real news, for example, and those folks getting angry at him during the watch party. You know, I know they were deeply close to Glenn Ford, a lot of staff over there. But of course, uh, when it comes to just how hegemonic liberalism really is on the left, Glenn Ford is going to ruffle your feathers uh, uh, somewhere, uh, you know, on some issue. I mean, for me, he was the one who exposed me to what was happening in Libya when the U.S. was gearing up to invade Libya through NATO. He was the I mean, he traveled. He went there on a delegation and he had so many insights about what that whole intervention was about. A monumental one that was occurring during Occupy Wall Street. This really, it was a real watershed moment in modern U.S. history. And a lot of people were very unhappy with Black Agenda Report stance. So much so, to this day, you have these so-called faux socialists protesting people like Ajamu Baraka because he stands up for Syria. And he went to Syria with Glenn Ford to... Uh, show solidarity with the Syrian people against US aggression. Anyway, and the same goes for Haiti uh, and and anywhere where the US is seeking to destroy other countries for the benefit of uh, the ruling class. So anyway, I'll just leave it there.
2: I just want to say quickly, you know, it's because of Libya that democracy now stopped inviting Glenn Ford, in addition to the way he tore down michael eric dyson which is my favorite debate of all time um which is now making the rounds again uh, on the internet but you know you notice he hasn't been on amy goodman's show for a very long time and he has a you know he was telling us a special story about that over drinks one day but i can't say it online but part of, part of that part of that is you know, there, he, he even got too radical for the supposed left, right? Like some, of, some people within the left. And, and he hasn't been back, um, you know, uh, to that show. He hasn't been invited back to that he, in a long time. And it has to do with Libya, has to do with certain positions, and, and, and also has to do with the fact that he tore down some, some beloved, you know, liberals, black liberals, you know, so.
1: <laughs> well, he, you know, it's funny what you say about democracy now is now unwatchable. Um, I, I'll just say it. They, um, uh, they were on the side of uh, the destruction of Libya. They have sided with the destruction of the attempt to do the same to Syria. Um, and uh, they don't cover, for, for example, the, um, there is evidence, excellent evidence, that um, uh, the Assad uh, government has not used poison gas against people. Uh, they're whistleblowers in the opcw the uh organization that investigates uh chemical weapons uh but she refuses amy goodman refuses to do that reporting just like the new york times or the washington post or msnbc and all these things that we've been talking about these are watershed events i i remember in 2008 during the wall street crash i remember one of the first times I did public speaking and I was terrible, but Glenn kept encouraging me. Anyway, uh, I remember him saying, and this event was at the um, uh, Malcolm and Betty Shabazz Center at the uh, Audubon uh, uh, Center up, uptown. And I remember him saying the stock market crash was a, a crack in time. And he said it was a watershed moment and talked about it in ways I had not thought about it and uh and it explained it explained why uh the the crisis of capitalism and uh the need for this system to try to defend itself by uh uh destroying those nations that were uh uh independent so you understood it better if you read about it in black agenda report and that meant and this is that's the thing about a crisis it separates the wheat from the chaff so to speak so then you know who's really left and who really is just a liberal. So no, uh, we'll not be back on Democracy Now!, but that's okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, Democracy Now! has been carrying water for imperialism and and Glenn Ford or any of us, none of us. I, I mean, anyone who is committed to the struggle for liberation in any sense of the term, cannot go along with that. And these aren't choices. I mean anyone can have us on. I mean any anyone can have Glenn could have had Glenn Ford on, Margaret, myself, anyone. You know, we're not here to reject opportunities to expose people to our ideas, but at the end of the day, there were calculated decisions made because of the way that Black Agenda Report decided and was led by someone like Glenn Ford who put politics over personalities, who put politics over any kind of career opportunities. Black Agenda Report is a movement vehicle. It's an organ for the movement. It's not for people to make money off of. It's not for anyone to build huge clout off of. It's the ideas that are in Black Agenda Report, what is covered in Black Agenda Report is for the Broader goal of moving people forward in a revolutionary direction and to both preserve and to give new life to what has always been the thrust of revolutionary politics in the United States and much of the world for that matter, which is black politics. And to really be able to, uh, what I always knew hurt I mean, I, it hurts all of us, but I knew it hurt Glenn and Bruce. I know it hurts all of us the way that. The black left has been so desecrated and attacked and then molded and co-opted. You know, Glenn Ford often cited in his articles under Obama, black people became more conservative about war and peace, issues of war and peace, something that is unheard of uh, than, uh, than white people. Right. Uh, around the question of Syria, there was more support for that proposed intervention in 2013 than ever before among the black community. I know that hurt him a lot because, I mean, he grew up. <laughs> this, this he grew up in that struggle, and uh, but at the same time, he wasn't just like he wasn't going to set an example where we would capitulate to that. And I think that is one of the most the greatest gifts that you can give to humanity is that kind of strength, that kind of leadership, and. Yeah, we all have so much to to really learn and, and take from that.
1: Yeah, he. Um, I, I have to say this also, back, Glenn. Glenn loved black people. He was not one for respectability politics. He defended us, even though there were individuals he uh, was not uh, uh, respecting of people who no one should respect. But he respected black people. He loved black people. Um, and so it hurt him, you're right, to see black people who, I remember when Ronald Reagan tried to kill Gaddafi, black people thought it was a terrible thing. And Barack Obama did kill him and did not lose any support uh, amongst black people. And he said to me once that we uh, we used to have this exception. Um, and he reminded me of uh, when um, uh, the Iranian uh, uh, students took hostages in the U.S. Embassy and I, it's a long time ago, but they let the black people go. There were black Marines, some black employees there, and he said, "We've lost that. We've lost our exemption." And after Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice, and then Barack Obama, and he, you know, he said it jokingly, but it was the, it was true uh, that we would become these uh, the face of empire and the defender of empires because uh, we uh, thought in terms of the you know, of the days of segregation, to see a black person in a high place, the black face in a high place was the most important thing. And so uh that it was considered not important what they did, but he didn't spare anybody. And he was consistent. He was consistent in his politics with everyone.
0: Right, yeah. You know, uh, we'll be on for another 20 or so minutes, and I definitely want to get Dr. Pierre's uh, take more on uh, Haiti because I feel like there's so much to talk about uh, just to give a brief analysis of the goings-on, the big issues relating to the assassination of Jovenel Moïse and uh, all of the developments that have occurred since then. But, yeah, to just follow up on that, uh, Glenn Ford would often tell me, because yes, I am a, a non-black person, I'm Vietnamese descent, and he would talk, we would always talk about the importance of black nationalism. He would always say, do not underestimate the strength of black nationalism and the contention and the debate and the struggle around it. And he would always, he gave, I mean, just the masterclass he gave me in being able to navigate that. And be able to put forward a politics of internationalism while navigating those very difficult debates that were happening that became only more difficult because of the way that the ruling class wielded the influence of Barack Obama and the black misleadership class to forward their ends, to forward a certain kind of nationalism that was really anathema to liberation of anybody, uh, no less black people. So, He was always keeping his ear to the ground. He was not interested in talking about politics and history if it was detached from the reality of our particular situation. And I think that is what differentiates revolutionaries from those who are only interested in reforms, who are liberals. They are more interested in ideas for ideas sake they are interested in ideas for different goals apart and detached oftentimes from the reality of people because if that weren't the case then how could then how could someone take the position for example that the US should be waging humanitarian interventions anywhere in Libya and Syria that we shouldn't oppose it vocally or that we should oppose humanitarian interventions But we should also condemn the Syrian government or the Libyan government or whatever we're talking about, whatever government we're talking about that the U.S. doesn't like uh, at the same time. Right. We couldn't hold those positions if those who are taking them weren't just thinking of ideas for their own sake, weren't just looking at politics as an exercise in their own popularity or their uh, own brand or identity. No, Glenn Ford was not about branding and identity. He was about what was the revolutionary trajectory that was needed to bring about a mass movement, which could begin this process, which is always in process of tearing down this system and building a new one. That, to me, is just one of the most important lessons I think Glenn Ford really imparts to all of us.
2: I definitely agree. Definitely. And so, you know, um, and you know, I have to, we can switch to talking about Haiti if you want a bit. Um, part of the thing, uh, I learned a lot from Glenn, just focusing on Haiti. One of the things that, um, that Glenn did that a lot of people didn't do was really focus on 2004 and, and the coup d'etat, um, that led to this moment and, and really, you know, showed with Bush How you know the French, the Canadians, and the Americans cooked up a plan, and and basically um, you know cooked up this plan and then funded all these uh, all these uh, paramilitaries to go into Haiti um, and and do the coup uh, against Aristide. So so I I appreciated that because he knew he could see what was happening from within. And this is long before the WikiLeaks files were released, where now we know exactly (laughs) what was going on. But he could read into. You know, the fact that, you know, they, they sent Aristide away, they didn't even let him stay in the Western Hemisphere, they threatened Jamaica, they threatened Venezuela, who offered asylum, they sent him back to Africa, <laughs> right? And then they brought in this dude who had been, not lived in Haiti for 30 years and made him president. And I remember reading one article from Glenn Conley, like you know, the fat man from Florida showed up, you know, as like the puppet, <laughs> of the U.S. U.N. puppet. So, you know, so it, it's important. And, and this is a good segue to talk about Haiti, because what's going on right now with this assassination is what 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 people who are anti imperialists are saying, well, we don't want any we don't want any intervention, we don't want any occupation, and so on. And so what I wanted to do is really talk about the fact that Haiti is under occupation. And I think we need to remember that because everything that happens in Haiti is because we're under occupation, and the occupation is very different this time because it was done under a multinational, multiracial group of people, right? So it was started by the US, the UN, the Canada in 2004, right and then where they you know the you uh the, the the military the the guys landed you know went to aristide's house and told him he had to get on a plane and then they shipped them out and then the u.s friends and canada went to the u.s to the u.n security council and basically declare haiti a, a chaotic you know as a war zone and the u.s this security con, the u.n security council went went along right and that's something we have to think about because china and russia are in the u.n security council and then you have this you know, multi you know, thousands of military police show up in Haiti in June 2004, led by Brazil, right? The military was like led by Brazil. And they had this occupation, right? The UN occupation of Haiti, which which people don't think about. It changed it transforms the notion of what occupation is because it makes it seem like it's not the US. That's it, right? Like we can talk about the 1915 occupation. But this one was like, you know, um, allowed by the UN. The UN gave the US cover for coup d'etat in Haiti because it came in and you had all kinds of nations, right? Because you had Africans, you had, you know, all kinds of soldiers from Africa, soldiers from Latin America. And it looked like they were doing this humanitarian stuff when the reality is the UN was giving cover to a coup d'etat. And so I think Haiti is always a very good case for thinking about how the US will work, how the US moves forward, because it hides the US part, the US role in it. And it makes this, you know, at first, you know, all the leaders of the UN occupation were like Europeans, you know, the military run by Brazil. And then later on, they changed the face of the leadership. You have like members of the Caribbean community being part of the UN mission. So that shows you how occupation goes and then we can hide it and transform the terms. And so, you know, 2017, the occupation, you know, a lot of the soldiers left, but there's this, you know, the, the, the UN office, the BINU, you know, are the same ones, the core group that we've been talking about quite a bit, are the same ones that make the decisions for Haiti, you know, and they're the ones that pick the latest president, you know, the latest prime minister and so on. So what I wanted to say about Haiti is that whatever is happening is happening under occupation. And it's because of the occupation that the last 10 years have been terrible. And the other thing I wanted to say is that what's happening now is the legacy of the obama administration and people don't want to talk about it because it's, oh, the the phtk the party moise's party and his predecessor michelle martelli are obama's gift the, the party emerged under obama Hillary Clinton left the Middle East during, you know, during the so-called Arab Spring. I call this so-called because it happened on the African continent. As far as I'm concerned, it's the African Spring, but hey. So they left, you know, they, she left the, she left that area, flew to Haiti and forced Martelly onto the ballot with the OAS when he did not even make the first round of the elections. And this is where you have the emergence of this political party, a bunch of crooks, you know, uh, and corrupt folks that serve the oligarchy you know the light-skinned elite in haiti as well as the u.s government and this the past 10 years this is what we've been living under and this is obama's gift and as black people in this country we should be so upset at this man that gave cover to empire for really putting haiti in the situation that it's in right now so
1: yeah i uh thank you for for pointing out you pointed out so many important things there you know russia and china finally saw the light uh it took it took that It took Libya. They went along. They could have saved Libya if Russia and China had because they have their permanent security council members. They could have vetoed the no fly zone resolution. But they went along and I think they were sorry later. They stopped doing it with Syria. But a lot of damage was done. Uh, They realized they can't make friends with these people. Now they're under attack. So then, it was the United States overthrew the Ukrainian elected Ukrainian government right next door to Russia. I mean, how gangster can you be? So um, you, you're pointing out some important things that if other countries had stood up for themselves and stood up for what was right, um, they a lot of damage would uh, to many countries would not have been done. Uh, so I, I thank you for po- pointing out what Brazil did. That was Lula um, doing that. He, I hope he wins against Bolsonaro, but that does not mean that he gets a free pass in uh, helping take the lead and giving cover to uh, U.S. Um, uh, intervention and, uh, and occupation there. So I, I had a, a question for you. Um, so what is the latest? So there is a new president, a new prime minister, uh what uh what is the, the latest in uh from Haiti?
2: Well the latest is that our white rulers are ruling us, right? And um and, and so there are two things that happened. So right after the assassination, which I think was an inside job, and in which I think there's nothing that happens in Haiti without the State Department and the core group knowing. So I'm sure they knew about it, they knew it was gonna happen and they know what's happened, but I think this investigation will never know because the FBI took all kinds of stuff. The chief of police who's running the investigation no one trusts because you know you know they think he could be part of it and so you know it's you've got people it's like the police investigating themselves right like um here when during like a, a you know the George Floyd killing or whatever killing police brutality issue happening or the FBI you know the CIA investigating it's itself right so so there's that but what happened was right after you know Moise was ruling by decree and a lot of people so his mandate had been up February seven two 2021 and Before that, you know, groups of Haitian, um, opposition, civil society, a lot of them, you know, we have to say they're the bourgeois opposition because the real, and I have to be honest about that because the real people on the ground don't have access to, to a lot of these conversations. But there was an opposition that set up a transition for, for Haiti. Um, the U.S. government, as soon as, um, Biden got into power, affirmed Moise's mandate for another year. So went against the Haitian group, you know, all the groups on the ground, the bourgeois opposition, and and basically supported Moïse. And so they supported Moïse against everyone. Remember there were protests in March, in April, all these protests, which would have led to regime change calls if they were happening in Cuba, right? But but so it's true, right? So the protests and so on. And so right before, and then Moïse wanted to change the constitution. Right, to give him, allow him to do another term. The Haitian constitution does not allow more than one, you know, consecutive terms by the police, but also to give him immunity and so on. So he wanted to change the constitution and he wanted to have elections. And, and people in Haiti are saying, no, this is an undemocratic government. You cannot have elections where everybody's appointed. There's no, no one, there are no elected members. You know, there are, I think, 10 left, but they're mostly of his party. Everything else, the parliament is dissolved. There are no, he fires Supreme Court justices and so on. So no one wanted these elections, but the OAS, which is you know, the lap dog, as Cuba would call them, of the US, went and met with Moise a few days before the assassination and basically comes out and they out of the meeting and said, we've met with Moise and we're gonna go ahead with these elections. We support him, we're gonna provide you know, help, but he had under these conditions. He has, to re- he has to appoint another prime minister because the one he had was interim. And that was his sixth prime minister and he had to appoint another prime minister and, and so on. So Moïse designated this other guy named Ariel Henri, who was supposed to take, take, take the position of prime minister from Claude Zorzef, who was the interim prime minister. But Ariel Henri was part of the 2004 coup that, you know, the group of Haitians that actually gave cover to the 2004 coup, right? So, so that's a whole other conversation. But, anyways, Claude Joseph, when Moïse was assassinated, Claude Joseph was still interim, and it was the day, the day right after his term ended. And he declares himself prime minister, like in charge of the government. And immediately, our white rulers, the core group, says, okay, Claude Joseph is the new prime minister and we'll lead Haiti to elections, right? And people were protesting that. But then I guess people protested so much that they had a change of heart. And so while Haitian civil society, like 300 people meeting, to say we need our own solution, you know, to the crisis on June, July 17th, it's the same day during the meeting that the UN and the core group released a statement saying that Ariel Henry, the guy that was supposed to become the new prime minister appointed, would be would lead Haiti to democracy. So they basically undercut whatever civil society was doing, and they handpicked this 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 guy. They said he would lead the country, and then they said he would. And then immediately he said he's going to name his cabinet on Tuesday, and he was sworn in on Tuesday against the wishes of everybody in Haiti except for, you know, you have the Comradeur bourgeoisie who allow this, right? Like you have these people who who have low self-esteem, self-hating black bourgeoisie who, you know, who, who know that the U.S. runs things. And so they've been able to navigate that to have, to, you know, buy for power. But so that's that's where we are right now. So we are in a space where you still have the, the, the oppositions, the large groups meeting, they completely condemn the U.S., the U.N. role in establishing a prime minister for Haiti without any Haitian say, but the U.S. is going ahead as if there's a new government in Haiti. So we are, you know, Haiti's a colony. You know, Haiti is, is there's no neo to it. It's a colony that's being run by you know through indirect rule as far as I can see, right? And it's not even that indirect because the UN, which has it was supposedly its mission is over, the core group was not an elected group. They made these decisions. And the US State Departments affirmed these decisions.
0: <sighs> wow. Yes. And we should all be is... outraged. Indeed, Indeed we should. Uh <laughs> I um uh, you know on here, I don't get outraged, but I can tell you that every day I'm outraged. But we should all be outraged uh, by the crimes. I mean, it's these are war crimes that are happening, to Haiti, and we spoke about the international situation. And I think maybe this should be our last question before closing remarks. We commented earlier about the international situation; it was a lot more delicate. I don't. I think people under. I think there's this underestimation. Of just how uh, difficult the 21st century has been for the world and, uh, under U.S. hegemony, and how Barack Obama really was this more effective evil and created very difficult situations for uh, you know these bigger countries who are still relatively weak—China, uh, Russia. But even during the Bush years, these countries were pretty weak. They were, China was just beginning to become an industrial power. Russia was nowhere close to an industrial power. And at that time, the U.S. really did have uh, so much influence that even countries where it wasn't in their interest to go along with these actions against Haiti, they went along. Because what what would happen if they did not? Well, we see what happens to countries when they do not uh, follow the U.S. line. They get sanctioned or they get invaded themselves. So it just speaks to how reactionary the international situation was and still is and how Glenn Ford's leadership in this way to really point that out, how the Obama administration pushed that to its climax. And now we're seeing, I think, a different situation. I want to get your thoughts about this uh, Dr. Pierre, about how it seems like after eight years of Obama, where the U.S. kind of came to a climax with its unmitigated hegemony and destruction, and the Obama administration came on the heels of the 07-08 economic crisis, and then all of its interventions, right, and the, the U.S. conducted a lot of interventions under Obama, military interventions, they ended up all producing their own kind of crises. We see it on the African continent after Libya, and in the Middle East, in the Arab and African worlds. This huge refugee crisis and instability and chaos. The, somebody mentioned in the comments the neo Nazis put into power in Ukraine, the conti- ongoing uh, colonization of Haiti. You know, on and on and on. Venezuela, the sanctions. Right, with so many instances of just these crises that really, I think, was very educational for so many. Black and Gender Report was one of the few U.S.-based outlets that were understanding this. But where do you see the international situation? Do you see any optimism moving forward? Because Haiti definitely falls within this broader anti-imperialist struggle. Uh, I mean, a lot of these protests, especially in 2018, were over the way that Venezuela's solidarity to, to, to Haiti those funds, how those were used um, in a very corrupt manner to the behest of, of the oligarch. How do you see this next period and, and Haiti's role in it? Because I feel like Haiti has a huge place in this broader shift uh, to in a more anti-imperialist direction globally.
2: Yes, I, you know, I, I'm I, I think Haiti is a model for us to understand. I think we really need to understand the way that in the imperial machinations in Haiti work, because we see, we can see them being trying to be replicated in other places. And so, if we don't understand how that the UN can be deployed for cover for the U.S., we we should, we should know that now. So, for example, Kofi Annan was the, uh, was the Secretary General of the UN, and he said. After the coup d'état, Haiti is clearly unable to sort itself out, and leaving it alone would be worsening the chaos. This is what he used to for the UN intervention. So when you have places like that that see Haiti as chaos and don't see anything else, um, then you can you have to be worried about as empire is it's falling. Right? I mean, this is this is the last gasp of empire. That's the one thing we have to remember. Um, and so the one thing that gives me hope is you know the shifting views of people, especially in Latin America. I mean, I'm watching the Peruvian, you know, installation of Castillo. I see, you know, the fact that Bolivia was able to, to, to get rid of the, you know, reverse the coup, which is unusual. And But I do start, you know, in, in Mexico going against the blockade and sending shipments to Cuba, Russia yeah. sending Cuba, shipments to Cuba. So I think in Latin America, we do see that. And I just hope that they see Haiti as, you know, a, a, a place to look to, you know, in the fight against imperialism, because we cannot do that alone. I do worry about the increasing um, militarization of the African continent, and also the African Union being run by a bunch of comprador bourgeoisie who, who don't, you know, who don't think about imperialism in the way that I think they should. And so I'm both hopeful and weary because I, you know, I'm not sure. And I do think with Haiti, the 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 dissemination of information about Haiti is so terrible, right? I mean, even leftists like Raoul Peck, you know, called for intervention in 2004. Let's say this, right? It was these black elite intellectuals and artists, Haitians themselves, who were so against the black poor in Haiti that uh, allowed for this intervention. And we cannot let them forget that as they're complaining now. And so we have to remember, we have to think about the ways that empire has been able to use so many of us Right, in its, in its wake, and we have to figure out a way to create solutions that both point to. We have to learn, you know, and this is what Glenn comes in play, right? Read a lot and know because we have to hone in our analysis because without the analysis, we cannot act and we cannot make moves. And so I think learning about what happened to Haiti from 2004 to now, we actually open up the way for us to understand the way that empire is acting as it's dying. Right, and and it's going to come back for us, and so we have to be ready for
0: it. yes, indeed, yes, indeed. uh you are so correct i mean, I mean, uh, first of all, thank you, dr. Pierre, for coming yeah. on Jamima. you're you My know pleasure. you're just just a wealth of knowledge, especially about this issue, where there is a real shortage of of especially here in the United States. Um, you know, I the the Haitian diaspora has a legacy of struggle here in the United States. That's for that's for sure. But in terms of how far politics have shifted to the right, just generally, there is this shortage of of those who can really articulate what's going on and all, and, and you know, in the spirit of Glenn with that analysis, he'd be able to point us in a in a and it's our job to keep black agenda direction. report
2: going. To cre- do, you just keep doing these analyses because there's no outlet for them, right? And so we need to, to keep that analysis, and we need to keep it going because, you know, the way that we all learn from Black Agenda Report, from Black commentators, the way that we hope the next generation will keep learning, and and because that's what that's the only way we can fight it. We have to fight ideologically as well, right? We have to fight propaganda.
0: Definitely, Margaret. I want to I want to kick it to you because I think we're going to close. Any closing sure. thoughts? I just yeah. want I
1: want to repeat. I want to thank you, Jameem. It's been a rough uh, uh, couple of days for us all. And anybody who who knew and loved Glenn Ford, but we all decided to come on and uh, make uh, make him a big part of um, of this segment tonight. So I just want to say thank you and thank Glenn because I wouldn't know either one of you.
2: <laughs> That's true. That's true.
1: Without my uh that uh connection that I have with uh Glenn. So, yes, Black Agenda Report will go on and it's conversations like this which uh, uh give us all the um inspiration and the energy to to move ahead. We have started something very very important. People need us and um, I know it seems immodest, but the world needs us, needs our point of view, because there are so many, uh, there's so many institutions working against us, the corporate media, the, who parrot the state, who, uh, and for uh, we, we have to have these voices, and for people, you mentioned WikiLeaks, they have Julian Assange locked up because he told the truth about Haiti and so many other places around the world. Uh, they try to literally criminalize our work so we all have a lot to be proud of Uh, grateful for glenn ford's uh presence in our life and in our lives and grateful for the work and the continued work of black agenda Report. so the future looks good for us thanks to people like you thank you so much
2: thank you thank you all we gotta keep it going thank you so much for all your work and keeping it going and you know, we all
1: have to step up. I promise to step up more because you know we need
0: more analysis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, let's close there. Just everyone remember that all the work that we all are doing, just know that Glenn Ford was really encouraging and, and really pushing from behind and sometimes mm-hmm. from a, pulling us from ahead. A lot of the times, pulling us from ahead <laughs> to make all of this stuff happen. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, he was really a vanguard figure. They say he's an old revolutionary, you know, old communist cliche, but the vanguard. He really was in the vanguard, and you know, I, yo, know, just this program here. I mean, he was the most encouraging. He wanted Black Agenda Report on YouTube. Not everyone has time to do this. I was like, I'll make some time, and here we are, uh, trying to be on this platform despite all of the censorship and all of that. So. Continue to support us. We, I know that we're working out some logistical things. Death is not only hard emotionally, it is extremely hard logistically and administratively. The system does not make it easy all the way around. So a lot of news to come. There will be many more tributes, definitely, to Glenn Ford because there really isn't enough you could say about him if you knew him at all. And even if you didn't know him, I've had so many messages over the last few days who said that he was their mentor, too, and they never got to meet him. So that's how much of an impact he really had. So anyway, it was great to be with all of you. Same here. Remember, he
2: he was about the work, not the sentimentality. I appreciate uh, that
0: as well. Yeah, seriously, (laughs) definitely. And we will be back uh, definitely, Dr. Pierre, we'll be in touch with you and we'll Definitely be back here uh, sometime soon. So peace out, everyone.
2: Peace out. Take care. Good night.